0: is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Purcell, on my podcast, The Accidental Care Partners, as I bring you information and tips for caregiving from other family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next 20 or so minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there, welcome to episode eight of the Accidental Care Partners podcast. I'm so glad you're listening in. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell, and today I'm going to help you think about preparing for emergencies. I had originally planned to present this episode a little later, but decided to move it up because we're entering the spring tornado season. And I think the information I'll be sharing today can help you put together your emergency preparedness plan. When I worked in a corporate capacity, We had what was called the COOP plan, that is, the Continuity of Operations Plan, and that is really what you need as a caregiver in case you're hit by an emergency situation. So let's start by thinking of the things you will need in order to continue providing good care for your loved one in the middle of a calamity and who you will need on your team to make this plan work smoothly. It's always better to plan out how you will continue on before you're in the middle of a serious situation. Remember the school fire drills? We had drills every month so that if you ever needed to truly evacuate, we could do it without even having to think about it. That's what today's episode is all about. It is a preparatory drill so that you have time to plan in advance what you will do if you ever need it. Even though we may have fallen into the role of family caregiver quite unexpectedly, There's no reason why we can't get ahead of the curve and put ourselves in a position of being ready for unexpected things, especially weather events. Tornado Alley is in the Midwestern region of the United States of America and is prone to tornadoes during the spring season. I live in the Deep South and this region has been dubbed Dixie Alley and it stretches across the eastern edges of Texas and Arkansas through Louisiana, Mississippi, Tennessee, Alabama, and Georgia, and also includes some parts of South Carolina, North Carolina, Missouri, and Kentucky. We have two tornado seasons in Dixie Alley, from March to June, then again in November and December. But if you live in this area, you must stay aware, because tornadoes may occur any time of the year. The coastal states, which includes many of the states in Dixie Alley, also have hurricane season from June to November, and occasionally we have true winter weather events, which are a bit harder to address because providing adequate heat is nearly impossible without electricity or gas. In a winter event, it may be necessary to relocate to a warming shelter or to a family or friend's home until it is safe to move back into your own home. Alabama meteorologist James Spann has preached safety for years and has saved countless lives because of his diligence and perseverance. In a 2017 article in the Southern Living Magazine, Mr. Spann said, everyone should have a designated safe space in their home and workplace to go to as soon as a warning is issued. The safest place in any building is on the ground floor, as close to the center of the building as possible, in a small area with no exterior doors, windows, or walls. Everyone should remain in a safe space until the warning has come to an end. He went on to say that most smartphones have come equipped with wireless emergency alerts, which is a government service that will send home screen notifications during tornado warnings, flash flood warnings, and amber or silver alerts. But, Mr. Spann continues, by recommending downloading a third-party app like Weather Radio by WDT. He says the affordable app is available for both Apple and Android products. I vividly recall the siren system and remember the only time we could actually hear it was during the monthly test. According to an article by William Holmes in 2012, at first these sirens were used to warn against nuclear attack during the Cold War. In 1970, these same sirens were given a second responsibility, to warn people of tornadoes. Once the Cold War ended, sirens were completely used for tornado warning. So, it's not surprising to learn that this was quite an ineffective system for saving lives, when strong winds were howling, rain or hail was falling, and the thunder was rolling. Having weather radios in the home is much more efficient and effective, and having weather apps on smartphones enhances that. I happen to live in a remote area in the mountains of North Georgia, and there are no weather sirens. And actually, our contact with the outside world is often compromised when there are power outages and downed trees. Without power and cable service, we have no Wi-Fi connection, which means we have no mobile phone service or text messaging, including the emergency alerts. So the weather apps on our phones are useless if we are at home. We have equipped our home with two weather radios, one that is battery-powered and one that has a hand crank. Having a battery-powered weather radio has served us very well. Last year, we actually utilized the hand crank weather radio after a prolonged power outage when our batteries had finally run down. And we learned that the crank radio only works while you are cranking it. For some reason, we thought you could crank it and build up a bit of a charge, but that is not how it worked. With the power and cables down, in addition to trees blocking our road to civilization, we had no way of communicating with family members or hearing from the outside world except through the hand-cranked radio. So even with its limitations, it was better than nothing. Several years ago, the Alabama Department of Public Health launched the Get Ready, Get 10 Essential Items Campaign, and it is this framework that I'll be presenting to you today with a few tweaks related to those with fragile health situations. But the first decision you have to make is where you will shelter. If you shelter in your own home, you will need a place on the lowest floor, in the center of the house, with no exterior walls, doors, or windows. If you need to relocate to a safe location, where will you go? To a family member or friend's home? If you are leaving your home, you will need to take all the items in your emergency kit with you. Will you need assistance transporting your care receiver? Who will help you do that? There are community resources, but you have to plan ahead so that someone is aware that you will have this special need, and you will need a personalized kit for each member of your household. The 10 items that have been recognized as being essential in the event of emergency situations are water, food, a can opener, medications, first aid, flashlight, radio, clothes, personal care items, and important documents. These items should be stored in a cool, dry place. Now let's talk about each item, including the recommended quantity per person to have on hand. Water. You should have one gallon of water per person per day to use for drinking, hygiene, and cleaning as needed. Purchased bottled water has an indefinite shelf life as long as the seal has not been broken. Depending on your storage space, you may elect to purchase water in gallon containers rather than in smaller bottles. If you retain access to water but question its purity, here are two easy methods to ensure water is safe to drink. According to the Alabama Department of Public Health, if you have electricity or gas, boil water at a rolling boil for three to five minutes, then let cool completely before drinking. Once cooled, store in a clean container. The second method recommended by the public health department, if you do not have the means to purify water via boiling, you may disinfect water using regular household bleach containing 5.25% sodium hypochlorite. Do not use products labeled to contain other chemicals. You would add 16 drops of bleach to one gallon of water. Let stand for five minutes before using, and then you should repeat the process if you do not smell a slight smell of chlorine in the clean water. Food is the next item. It is recommended that you maintain a two-week supply of non-perishable food per person. The list suggests electrolyte drinks such as Pedialyte, Caterade, Powerade, those kinds of things, ready-to-eat canned meat, and you know what that is, Um, canned or dried fruit and vegetables, canned or boxed juices, powdered milk and soup, crackers, granola, and trail mix. All of these are readily available, easy to handle, easy to store, and easy to serve and eat. You will need to plan for your family's unique needs and tastes. Pay special attention to the diets of infants, toddlers, and the elderly. Try to pack foods that require no refrigeration, no preparation, or cooking. Routinely inspect all food in your stash for spoilage or expiration. Label and date all foods. Also consider the shelf life and keep up with expiration dates of your food goods. You can always pull out the food that is nearing expiration and use in your daily meal planning, but be sure to replace those items in your stash. And I want to add this suggestion. Be prepared to dispose of used packaging. You need to include trash bags, paper towels, or wet wipes for easy cleanup. It's also um, helpful for hand sanitation. Now, you're going to need a can opener for all those canned goods, and you need to make sure you have a manual can opener in case there's no electrical power. You might also consider buying items with a pull-top opening. Many fruits and vegetables now have that. Others are foil lined for closure and are easy to open, but just be mindful when you're buying things of how you would open them. So you need to understand how to operate the manual can opener and make sure you have the hand strength to use it or to have the hand strength to remove the pull-top can. Practice using a manual can opener on a regular basis so that you can ensure you have the strength to do it if or when it's needed. The next item on the list is medication. You'll need to collect one month's worth of all prescription medications that you and your care receiver are taking. Make sure they are clearly labeled to avoid a mix-up. Discuss the possibility of stockpiling medication with samples from your physician or request a special prescription for this purpose. Rotate stockpiled medication to ensure the shelf life and note the expiration date so that you do not keep anything past their date. Include non-prescription meds such as fever or pain relievers, antacids, antidiarrheal medications, etc. in your stockpile. In addition to this, I would add that for families with medically fragile members or care receivers, if your loved one receives services from home health or hospice agencies, you will need to coordinate with them for assistance with medications and oxygen supplies and possibly help with transportation if that is needed. You will also need a first aid kit. As a general rule, you will need to include the basics, such as antiseptic, gloves, a variety of bandages, thermometer, protective mask, all the things that we're using with this pandemic. You can buy a pre-made kit at most pharmacies or grocery stores, but if you make your own first aid kit, I suggest you store it in a gallon-sized zipper bag to make it waterproof. The next item you need is a flashlight. You need to keep a bright flashlight in your home in case there is no electrical power. Consider getting a lantern-style light for hands-free use, and remember extra batteries and rotate stockpiled batteries to ensure shelf life current. I recommend headlamps because they take smaller batteries, are hand-free, and are excellent for lighting a path when walking, cooking, or for leisure activities such as games or reading. You do need a radio, so you want to have a hand-powered weather radio with an alert sound and a radio for listening to news and weather. Ours does both. You can consider buying a crank-operated or solar-powered radio, but again, don't forget the extra battery. Buy them in advance in case they're in short supply. And the next thing you're going to need to prepare is clothes. So you want to collect an extra set of clothing, including socks, underwear, shoes, and jacket per person. You'll evaluate the sizes and replace as needed every six months. Now, in addition, if you're caring for someone who is medically fragile, Be sure to include incontinence supplies if appropriate, and you may need to have two or three sets of clothing in reserve just in case. Now, you will need to collect your personal care items, and these include the basics like soap, toilet paper, the toothbrush, toothpaste, hand sanitizer, cleaning supplies, bleach, garbage bags, and feminine products. Now, you could use samples or hotel extras to save money and storage space, but each family member should have their own toiletry bag. Entertainment items such as cards, books, or comfort items may be included for children. And I would like to add, if your care receiver has anxiety or any form of dementia, be sure to include items like fidget busters or entertainment items in your safe place. This might be a good time to have the mp3 player with pre-selected calming music uploaded. And then for extra items, you might consider packing blankets, rain gear, outerwear, um, that kind of thing in case of inclement weather. And the final thing are the important documents. You need to collect copies of the driver's license, photo IDs, social security cards, birth certificates, deeds, titles, mortgage papers, insurance policies, bank account numbers, and credit cards. This sounds like a lot, and it is, but if your home is destroyed and all of these things with it, it will be very hard to piece all of this information together. Having all of this saved on a flash drive and maybe in the home of your power of attorney or even in a safe deposit box could be a lifesaver for you as you pick up the pieces and put your life back together. I would like to suggest that it is best to keep this information in a safe place, such as with a trusted family member. Again, like I said, possibly your designated power of attorney or your personal attorney or in another location for safekeeping. We have made our personal preparedness kits that include all the personal items on our Get 10 list. We live in a rocky terrain and have made a point of having an extra pair of boots with our emergency clothing. We have a portable pantry, which are really just airtight storage bins that contain the water, food, and paper products already stored in our safe place. We have saved all the recommended paper documents on a flash drive and it is stored with our advanced directives in the home of our designated power of attorney, which is actually in another town. We would be unlikely to be hit at the same time. Speaking from experience, we've been grateful for our forethought and planning on multiple occasions. We have used parts of our stockpile, but we've never had to use all the items at once. You may not think you'll ever need all of these things, but what if you do? I vote for being safe rather than sorry. To help you, I've put together a checklist for the items we've discussed in this episode, and you can find a link to that in the show notes or on the accidentalcarepartners.com website. You can print the checklist and store a copy in your Essential Caregiving Toolkit so that you have it handy when updating your stash. And in case you have pets, I've also included a link for the Get 10 for Pets. I hope this information will help you develop your family's continuity of operations plan, for I firmly believe we all need a personal coup plan that is well thought out and easy to put into place if or when needed. Look at it this way. If you go to the trouble of planning but never need to implement the plan, then you've just given up a few hours out of your life. But if you don't take the time to plan and prepare, it could cost you or your loved one's life. I strongly encourage you do the planning and give yourself peace of mind. Join me on the next episode of the Accidental Care Partners podcast as we discuss caregiving for those with dementia. In the meantime, take time to make a plan for your family's safety during times of emergencies. Take care. Well, that's all I have for today. If you found the information to be useful, uh, you might want to check our Facebook page which is also titled The Accidental Care Partners, for updates on future caregiver support groups. To help other caregivers find us, please use the like, share, and subscribe buttons. Show notes are posted on the AccidentalCarePartners.com website, and you can also leave comments there. Another way to reach me is by sending questions or comments through email to CarePartnersPodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can, and we'll use your feedback to produce future episodes. So, until next time, always remember, caregiving is hard, so be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.